Hey, MJ. What? Do me a favor really quick and read that DC house ad for me. When sanctuary is no longer safe. All right. That's really short. I like it, but it's really short, and it reminds me of Heroes in Crisis. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> everyone, you are listening to Casual Wednesdays with Doom Rocket, your one-stop shop for comics talk and such. I'm Jared Jones. I am MJ Kramer. This week, Holy Retribution Batman. <laughs> That's right, it's back. Else Week has returned with a deep dive into 1991's Batman, Holy Terror. The first official Elseworlds title published by DC Comics and possibly the strangest Batman story ever made? Oh, uh, maybe. It's up there. Inside the prestige format one-shot, we'll find chalky Inquisitor wigs, strange midnight maids, and the most balls-out craziest Batmobile ever rendered on the page. <laughs> it's glorious. Not bad for a Batman story that never once uses the word Batman. It's a wild night in old Gotham Town, and us here at Casual Wednesdays wouldn't have it any other way. Hello, MJ. Hi, Jared. Welcome back to Else Week. It's good to be here. It's been a while, huh? Yeah, since November, <laughs> since our introductory episode of Else Week. Which was, of course, Gotham by Gaslight. I have no excuse for the time it's taken to get back around to Else Week, other than we're incredibly busy and making these episodes happen takes a lot of work. And they're separate episodes from our normal episodes, so it's right. hard to figure out a way to fit them in. But it's become easier now, ironically, since we've gotten rid of our read-through episodes on Casual Wednesdays, which also took a lot of research, effort, and time. Now that those are gone, we're a little hungry to do read-throughs again. <laughs> I didn't realize how much I missed it. It used to feel like doing a book report because we had to do them all the time. and like, ugh, more homework. But now I'm like, I want to talk about the comics. And of course, new Casual Wednesdays listeners who are new to this whole concept of the Else Week, let me explain really quick what that means. All right. So Else Week is our chronological read-through of every single Elseworlds title DC ever published. I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea yet. Now, these are the official ones also. That's right. Like some people will consider like Dark Knight Returns to be in Elseworlds. Right. But Things like Dark Knight Returns, they don't count. Tangent Comics, they don't count. We'll probably talk about Tangent at some point in the future in Casual Wednesdays, but not on Else Week. Else Week is Elseworlds. Elseworlds means the brand. So the brand must exist on these DC comics in order for them to be an Elseworld. Yes, you want to see that little Elseworlds logo on it. Except it's for Gotham beautiful. by Gaslight, which is the right. one that existed before they had come up with the concept and the logo and all that. That's right. That's what makes Batman Holy Terror so notable. Basically, the only thing that makes it notable <laughs> is that it is the first official Elseworlds title that DC ever published with the brand on it. But they went all out with this, MJ. They, they did. did prestige format. Really handsome addition, but also they wrote up a credo for Elseworlds, what it means to the reader, and it went like this. In Elseworlds, heroes are taken from their usual settings and put into strange times and places, some that have existed or might have existed, and others that can't, couldn't, or shouldn't exist. The result is stories that make characters who are as familiar as yesterday seem as fresh as tomorrow. That's a pretty bold declaration of intent. And one of my favorites. It's very well written. And they put it on the first front page when you open the book. It's well designed. It looks really good. Well, it's printed weird for this particular thing because, like, the background is, like, red and white lines, very detailed. It's the Batcave. And then the letters are going down the length of the page in black ink. But they're very thin letters, so you can't really read it very well. I like it. I, li I like that it looks from antiquity. It is. It's very quaint. 
As a matter of fact, there's a lot about Batman Holy Terror that is quaint, and we will get into that in just a minute. But before we tackle Batman Holy Terror MJ, some quick house cleaning to get it out of the way. We sent out a call for listener questions a couple of weeks ago, and you guys came through in force. We have a lot of questions in our backlog now, but we're always looking for more. So if you've got comics-related questions that you have to ask me or MJ or just me or just MJ, <laughs> hit us up, info at doomrocket.com, Cashwets Podcast on Twitter. And since you're on Twitter already, go ahead and give us a follow over there if you haven't already. Also, give us feedback on Else Week. Did you find out that we were doing Holy Terror and run to your collection, grab the copy, and read it really quick before you listen to the episode? We want to hear from you. So give us that feedback, info at doomrocket.com. All right, MJ, that's all I got for that. Okay. Let's head over to the Elseworlds Register. <laughs> that's what I'm calling it. Okay. The title, Batman Holy Terror. This was published in 1991 and featured the creative talents of writer Alan Brennert. Now, where have I heard the name Alan Brennert before, MJ? He's written a smattering of other DC stuff. He's actually written a lot of novels that take place in like Hawaii and stuff. Those are more recent. But back when this was coming out, he was a writer and producer on the TV series, L.A. Law. L.A. Law. <laughs> wow. That had Corbin Burnson in it, didn't it? Yeah. Oh you, know, you know what's funny? Speaking of L.A. Law, I was in like a lift a couple weeks ago, and for some reason, there was like a news station playing from the radio, and for some reason, I think it was about Corbin Burnson like getting divorced, like that merited a mention on their on their news item list. God, that must have been a grim radio station you were listening to. It was just like an, <laughs> like an AM news station. Oh, there you go. And, and they right. just were like, and in entertainment news, it's like uh, that's uh, neither entertainment nor news. <laughs> An Corbin LA Law Star, okay, divorced. Yeah, but Alan Brennert actually did win an Emmy in 1991 as well for his writing on LA Law, and they also won Emmys as producers and all that. So Alan Brennert's year 1991 was a big one. He wrote a Batman comic and he won an Emmy the same mm -hmm. year. That's a big year. Yeah, good for him. Have we seen Alan Brennert do anything else in comics since? DC actually put together a trade paperback collecting a bunch of the shorter stories that Brennert did, just like DC stories by Alan Brennert, something like that. Is that so? Yeah. Wow. Um, but it's just like a collection of all the little things he did, because he didn't really do like a big run on anything. It's lots of little things like this. All right. He was also the first writer to follow Frank Miller on Daredevil. Oof. Oh. <laughs> just for like an issue, I think. <laughs> but that was, you know, his, his only Marvel work. God, that's got to be rough, though. Yeah. Getting back to Batman Holy Terror, this features the art talents of Norm Bravogel. One of your absolute faves. One of my absolute faves. Norm's art seems very different in Holy Terror than it does in his typical Batman and Detective Comics work. In fact, it's of a piece with that Rachel Ghoul story he did with Denny O'Neill. Oh. I'm blanking on the name. I think it was Birth of the Demon. Something like that. Is either that or that's the name of the trade that it was collected in? Well, it feels like it's of a piece like that, where Norm Bravogel was playing with mixed media, because there's some panels in this book that incorporate photostats, you know what I mean? Like photographs that are like tooled with a little bit to look like they fit within the artwork itself. Like there's cathedrals that are clearly lifted from encyclopedias or something like that, statues and such. It's very do, strange. Do you think the change in style has anything to do with colorist Lovren Kinzierski being on the book? Well, it's very painterly, but it's still got the same color flatting and everything else. So it pops like a regular Batman comic pops. But I think because it's a prestige format and it was like a big deal, this is the first Elseworlds, maybe Norm was adding a little oomph, a little formalism to his more abstract style. Who knows? Could be. But I like it. I like his art a lot and I like his art in this book. But yeah, Laverne Kinsierski does the coloring and Bill Oakley did the letters. But fun fact, MJ, the logo design was done by none other than Todd Klein. Nice. Which makes you wonder why Todd Klein didn't letter the book. Maybe he was busy doing Sandman. Oh, he was very busy, <laughs> I'm sure. 
So in our post-convergence DC reality, we have a multiverse, and each Earth has a designation, right? Well, a lot of the Elseworlds titles from these 90s comics ended up getting their own designated planet on the multiversal map. Mm -hmm. I don't think Batman Holy Terror has its own planet or its own reality. I would say it probably doesn't deserve it. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. So let's talk a little bit about the world itself, the world of Holy Terror, because this is not like the Gotham City everyone knows and loves. As I mean, one can assume. Yeah. From it being an Elseworld. In fact, it's not even called Gotham City. It's Gotham Town. Gotham Town with an E at the end of town. That's right. Now, MJ, can you get into the specifics of why Gotham has undergone this storytelling metamorphosis? So the premise of this story is, and UK listeners, I apologize. If I'm getting English history wrong, they don't teach us the details of the English Civil War. They too sure much. didn't. That's because we won that war, MJ. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't involved in this one. But Oliver Cromwell was kind of the, the leader, the Lord Protector of the Commonwealth after they had deposed the king during the English Civil War in the 1650s, 1640s. Okay. Right. So historically, Oliver Cromwell, not thought of as the nicest dude, very unkind to the Irish, the Catholics, a Puritan. And this story supposes, what if Oliver Cromwell had not died of malaria at around the age of 50? Uh -huh. What if he had survived and taken his puritanical totalitarianism and spread it across the English colonies that existed at that point and also across the rest of North America? And that's what brings us to Batman Holy Terror. At present, Cromwell is dead. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously, because it takes place in present day. But his doctrine remains. His totalitarian hold on the Americas remains. He's at war right now with the Central American nations, and what is now known as the Commonwealth is fighting its way into Brazil and South America. As this is going on, two high-ranking members of the Commonwealth, Thomas and Martha Wayne, are found dead, murdered in front of their young son, Bruce. And that brings in young Inquisitor Jim Gordon. Not James Gordon. Everyone else has their proper names, but Jim gets Jim in the story. I found yeah. that to be weird. So, MJ, what do you say? You want to break into the story? You want to crack it? Yeah. All right. So, Gotham Town, 20 years ago, young Bruce Wayne has just witnessed the murder of his parents at the hands of Joseph Chill. Again, Joseph Chill, not Joe. Mm -hmm. He's a criminal, and he's still Joseph, you know. So, Inquisitor Jim investigates, discovers that Chill had been arrested seven years prior to the murder and had since himself been killed in a fight with a fellow inmate. So Jim Gordon finds out that Joe Chill did the deed. But had already been incarcerated. Yeah, so he apparently, according to the records of the Commonwealth, had been in jail the entire time the Waynes had been killed. Clearly, somebody let Chill out of his cage to directly kill the Waynes and then be ushered back into prison in an act of cover-up, basically. Mm -hmm. This is a conspiracy. The Waynes were assassinated. But why, MJ? We will get into that very, very shortly. The plot, as they say, it does thicken. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. So we go to modern day, and Victoria Vale, the news reporter, is relating current events to us via television, and it's very churchy. It's like if the 700 Club won, <laughs> won the ratings war, and everyone finished up every newscast with God bless. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. She's yeah. wearing a very, like, obvious cross. Mm hmm. And like we said before, the Commonwealth is at war with Central American nations, South America. They're pressing their advantage strategically what this means on the world stage we don't really know what does the rest of europe think about this yeah, what does russia think about this it doesn't really come up it's not necessarily yeah. relevant to the rest of the plot but it's just a little bit of flavoring that we're given it's a recurring motif in the story that it avoids the interesting questions and implications of its world but mm -hmm. yeah 
But we find out a couple of little pieces of information about other DC characters, such as millionaire Oliver Queen. You know Oliver Queen. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, he got busted supporting the writer Isaac Singer, who is an actual writer, mm -hmm. actual writer of historical note, considered a pornographer by the Commonwealth in of this course, story. Of course. And since Oliver Queen was seen supporting him, is hung in a public square. Yeah. Apparently, according to Victoria Vale, he repented his sins before, before he dropped, but I doubt it. Knowing Oliver... Yeah, I mean, that was probably just something that they were telling the public to make it go down easier. They propagandized his death. Of course. Yeah. So what we have now is, instead of Cromwell, we have the Lord Protector, Melville. He's the new leader of the Commonwealth. He doesn't really pop up in the story. But one important character who does pop up is Bruce Wayne. Of course. Who has grown to full age and has returned to Wayne Manor. And on the day that he's going to take his vows as a priest for the Commonwealth, of all things... I guess he traveled the world and decided that the Commonwealth was awesome. He found God. He found God, I guess. But, like, the rest of the world isn't controlled by the Commonwealth. What did he find out there? Again, questions that could have been answered and weren't in this strange story. So he's about to cede all his property to the Commonwealth and become a pious man. But he decides, hey, Alfred's still here. Alfred was my butler, and he took care of me after my parents died. Maybe I don't have to cede my estate to the Commonwealth. I can keep the house, and Alfred can live here. And Alfred's like, no, I'm good. Thank you, but no. They give each other a hug, and he leaves. Yeah, it opens with Alfred leaving. And never to return, either. Yeah. Weird creative decision, that one. Because you'd think Bruce Wayne would need somebody to bounce all these ideas off of, especially when he becomes aware of this conspiracy, but whatever. It, it feels like a lot of ideas, not necessarily fully baked, crammed into too few pages. Right. Fun fact, the armory in Wayne Manor holds the exact same pieces of armor that we see in the 1989 Batman movie. I noticed with that, with like the, the samurai armor, I noticed Yeah, that. when Vicky Vale and yeah. Knox are walking through, it's weird. I think that was probably a detail not in the script, but rather a Norm Brayfogle flourish. Could be. Or at least that's what I hope it is. So Gordon comes to visit Wayne as he's exercising. Right. And says he'd have made a great Inquisitor. Because he's so jacked up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that part comes after a whole double page spread of Wayne doing lots of exercises and mm -hmm. the double bars and all this stuff. Well, we have to establish that he's formidable. Yes, yes, of course. So Gordon tells Wayne that Joseph Chill was the man who killed his parents and that he was released from prison to assassinate the Waynes, make like a street crime. So he lied to Bruce his entire life. And it was a state execution. And it turns out the Waynes were privately state agitators and were tried and convicted in absentia of counter-reproductive activities. Oh, oh. Wayne grows furious. And Gordon apologizes for the lifelong deceit. All I've really succeeded in doing is shift a burden of pain from one heart to another, he says. And that becomes an important line for the story, because now that Bruce Wayne is burdened with this knowledge, he has to do something about it. And this comes on the day where he's supposed to become a priest and forget all his worries. Mm -hmm. He's supposed to serve the Commonwealth now. Well, it turns out the Commonwealth killed his parents. Yeah. What's he supposed to do with that information? Well, it's a Batman story, so, you know. So we get an opportunity to read from the Journal of Thomas Wayne, and we learn how cruel this conservative order has made the world and the people who live in it. Gay folks are tortured. Women who seek abortions go to extreme means to make it happen and other equally awful things. Oh, because the abortion is not legal. Right. We also learn about the behavior modifications and aversion therapies applied to certain subjects by the Commonwealth. It's very Mengele-ish. Yes. And it turns out that the Waynes were running a clinic, a private clinic, to help the people who suffered torture and social neglect by the Commonwealth, smuggled in by another Privy Council doctor named Charles McNider. Where do we know that name from? That's Dr. Midnight. That's Dr. Midnight. That's right. And he me mentions the names of a lot 
lot of other JSAers who were also private revolutionaries. Right. Uh, also dead. <laughs> Killed for of their troubles. Interesting side note, he does mention Alan Scott. Do you suppose the inference is that Alan Scott was possibly gay in the story, which would precede the in-canon change of Alan Scott's sexuality later on? I would guess probably not, but it's fun to read it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes sense to the story, too. Yeah. So Wayne and McKnighter talk about the journal, and McKnighter tells Wayne that the underground movement against the Commonwealth was crushed once the war came to an end. So once they weren't distracted by us pesky Americans, they had the opportunity to really stamp out any rebellion. And everyone who stood up against the state, which, like we said, Alan Scott, Carter and Shiera Hall, who were actual archaeologists using mm -hmm. their prestige to fight the Commonwealth, which I thought was cute, and Rex Tyler, of course, among others, were summarily executed. And Charles himself was blinded for his efforts. Somebody threw acid in his face. And it seems he also lost somebody named Myra. Who's Myra? I don't know. Is that Dr. Midnight's wife or something? I don't, I, I'm asking you, the JSA expert here. I don't know that era JSAers. Oh, no. I know the more recent ones. Gotcha. Charles does mention the legend of an indestructible man called the Green Man who could fight against the state, but that's apparently only, wink, wink, a legend and not a piece of foreshadowing. Yeah, I wonder if we'll see that character later. Mm-hmm. Wayne is flummoxed by all this news. He wants to find the men who ordered the assassination against his parents and have his revenge, but he doesn't know where to begin, so he goes through his confirmation. And afterwards, he kneels to pray to God to find some guidance, and afterwards, he rises in the shadow of a bat. <gasps> now, here's the interesting part about Batman Holy Terror is that there is no bat motif here. Batman looks like Batman, but there are subtle changes to his outfit and such. Turns out the costume that Bruce Wayne is wearing is his father's old demon outfit, which sounds weird, but in reality, Thomas Wayne, when he was a young pious fellow, performed in a passion play, and he was the demon. Yeah. But I think it's really funny that the Commonwealth designed the Batman's armor. Uh-huh. Don't you think that's a little silly? It's very funny. But it's nice, too, because it reminds me of the untold legend of the Batman, where Bruce Wayne tells the origin of the original Batman to Alfred. It's Thomas Wayne, who dressed up as a bat for a masquerade ball and foiled a crime while he was there. And so technically, he was the first Batman, and Bruce Wayne kept the costume on display. Maybe Brunner was kind of homaging it here. Could be. That would track in the timeline. Also, a fun fact, we find out in this book that Bruce Wayne's middle name is Anthony in this story, but present continuity, his middle name is Thomas. Hmm. Where did Alan Brennert land on Anthony? I don't know. There are no other examples of this that I'm aware of. Yeah, I've never really paid attention to what Bruce Wayne's middle name is. It's funny. Bruce tracks down the last surviving members of the Privy Council and decides to visit them wearing that demon costume. Mm -hmm. He's going to inspire some fear inside his potential adversaries. Mm -hmm. Wayne visits the first member of the Privy Council at night and scares the crap out of him. Yeah. Uh, and he mentions other people who were killed by the Commonwealth kind of obliquely and then the Waynes, you know, mm -hmm. to, to shield them. And the man says they were the greatest traitors of them all. Thomas and Martha Wayne were traitors to the Commonwealth. And he puts the blame on their deaths to a thing called the Star Chamber. Mm -hmm. And Bruce decides to discredit the man from any testimonies against him by dressing him up as a maid and chaining him to a street lamp for the Inquisitors to find. Yeah, yeah, that's not great. I mean, I see what Wayne's trying to do because homosexuality is a profound sin in the church. I'm going to use their homophobia against them. Uh. E exactly. He's turning the tables against them by using their own prejudices and such. But it's still kind of homophobic on Wayne's part for him to land on that. Yeah. Like, I'm sure there were a litany of other ways he could have blackmailed him or coerced him to keep his mouth shut. Or discredited him. Yeah. I mean, this Batman is not the Batman who takes criminals or ne'er-do-wells and dangles them from a high altitude, you know? 
know. He's not that type of Batman. He's more petty this way. I guess, yeah. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> so Wayne goes to the location of the Star Chamber, constructed in the lower levels of Gotham Town's massive cathedral. He infiltrates in his reverence robes and steals access codes from a higher priest to access the Star Chamber below. So he's not against sinning himself, this Bruce Wayne. He changes into his back gear and hopes this will all be over soon, but it's only beginning. Mm-hmm. So below, he takes out two guards and ponders over how easy violence comes to him. As a pious man, I find that violence probably comes quite naturally. Mm-hmm. You know, see the Crusades and yeah. you know other such examples. Anyway, he comes across an array of glass cells where a man is trying to vibrate through to freedom, and it's Barry Allen. And Norm Brayfogel was careful enough not to make him too conspicuous, but Laverne Kinzierski, whether this was a script note or not, gave him a red t-shirt, so he's still, you know, the Flash. That was probably on purpose. They mm-hmm. wanted to have at least a little bit of a visual right. note to be like, oh, that's right, that Barry Allen. <laughs> but why would a prisoner wear a red t-shirt? Kind of flashy. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Unintended. With all of these, yes, with all of these silly plot contrivances, I'm sure there's a reason why they would have him wearing a red shirt. So Barry tells Bruce, not Batman, I have to be careful not to call him Batman mm-hmm. because the story sure doesn't. Yeah. But Barry says that he was once an Inquisitor scientist, but he was given the same superpowers he would have gotten in any other timeline. A lightning bolt struck a rack of chemicals and it splashed on him and then he got super speed. That's just how it happened. Yeah. But the Commonwealth top brass found out about it and imprisoned him and did all sorts of torture and experiments on him because they want a bunch of super soldiers to wage a campaign of terror across the entire planet. And they'll have superheroes to do it. And they tried to replicate the experiment on other people as well. Yeah. And some of the people that were gifted with Barry's superpowers, um, they don't respond very well physically to it. One woman is experiencing super speed in her mind, but not in her body. So she, in a sense, has been imprisoned twice. There's another man who, uh, I guess, grew in certain places at super speed, but he developed elephantitis because of it. It's wild the side effects the speed force or I guess the power of super speed would have on regular people. There's also another prisoner who we see kind of kill himself who tries to copy Barry and vibrate through the prison. And his name is Terry and he might be Cyclotron, but they really? don't they don't say who exactly he is. Well, he disperses his molecules, but they'll reassemble. He'll get better later. Yeah. Barry says, yeah. but so yeah, it's I pretty wild. Think that might be Cyclotron, but we don't know for sure. So yeah, going back a little bit, when Barry was found out with a superpower, someone named Erdl, Dr. Erdl had him confined, and he'd been experimented on ever since. But Wayne helps Barry escape by vibrating his two hands at different vibrational speeds that causes the glass to explode, etc. It's weird that Barry wouldn't have thought of that himself. Yeah. <laughs> on top of all those failed experiments we see, we also see an Aquaman named Arthur and find out what happened to him and his former lover, a merlady named Lori. Well, forced lover. Like, they forced yeah. them to mate together. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I did gloss over that. There's there's bit. some there's some gross stuff in this book. It's pretty heinous, but I mean, consider the world the story takes place in. It's it's fitting to have this kind of cruelty with yeah. a, such a totalitarian regime. And like I said before, all these experiments that they've been doing, they're very Dr. Mengele-like. They're mm-hmm. just really gross and awful. The Aquaman himself seems to be really shell-shocked, floating in a fetal position. Yeah, and he's, he's not like, responding at he's all. He's catatonic. So anyway, at this point, they're attacked by a witch. And it seems that after the Salem witch trials, the Commonwealth decided it would be be better for them and their interests to recruit witches instead of burning them. It's very pragmatic, MJ. Yeah. So anyway, this particular witch has black hair and casts spells by saying commands backwards, so you basically know who this is. And the color scheme of her robes is very similar to when she was in that blue and white getup. Yeah. It's yeah. Zatanna. It's it's yeah. definitely Zatanna. It's Z. So Batman throws a gas pellet in her mouth to get her to shut up, which is 
extreme. Well, Batman realizes the only way to stop her is to make her not be able to talk because yeah. that is always uh, Zatanna's big weakness. Right. Uh, I mean, honestly, that's a thing that if Zatanna went bad in, in normal continuity, Batman would do. That's Yeah, you got a point there. Batman's always got his plan how to incapacitate everyone, Jared. But Z's a friend. More than a friend if, if some stories are true. Oh, no. So Dr. Ertl shows up at this point and he kills Barry. Like, he had a failsafe installed in Barry during the many experimentations, and when Barry uses his super speed, he hits a button, and then he burns alive. Yeah. It's very cruel. His last words, by the way, Iris. Very sad. So, Dr. Saul Erdell, by the way, do you recognize that name? Yes. He's the scientist who brought down John Jones from Mars. That's right. But instead of doing that wonderful thing, he instead he does went, evil. went a little bad. Yeah, he went a little crazy. So, he commands his golem. He has, like, a pet golem, and it's called Matthew Hagen. <laughs> and he gets him to attack Wayne and keep him captive. Ertl, by the way, says Matthew's kind of a clay face. Yes. What the fuck does that mean? That he was a one of the clay faces. Yeah, in regular continuity, yeah. that would make sense. But regular continuity does not apply here. Clayface does not apply here. Well, I think Brennert wanted to really be like, here, this is our version of Clayface. Do you get it? So like we said, Ertl's been attempting to build a metahuman army so he can spread his word to Asia, Africa, and all the other corners of the world where the Commonwealth has yet to make their reach. And Ertl shows Wayne, the Green Man, MJ. It's a big moment for me. I thought it would be. Because the Green Man turns out to be an alien who was found by a godly Kansan couple who brought the baby to the Commonwealth. Because mm -hmm. they thought that was the right thing yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. Ertl tells how, as he grew older and more powerful, the boy grew more rebellious against his keepers and ultimately had to be killed by a green radioactive rock. And Wayne looks at the green man, how he's hanging there, and he's dead. <laughs> and he's hanging like he's on the cross. He's, yeah. he's hung like he's crucified. It's, it's not subtle. Yeah. yeah. And Wayne thinks to himself, I know somehow that Ertl is right, that the state can destroy virtually any threat to it, that it has already destroyed what may have been. And I have no idea how I know this, but I do. <laughs> this world's greatest hope. I like your Christianville bad boys right there. I didn't there. go all bail for that. But, I could But it was there. Yeah. I, I, can, I can tell. It was when I said do. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, he also wonders if Ertl has some kind of intellectual kink that makes him torture an experiment for fun. One can only assume. Well, I mean, yeah, duh. So seeing the green man is really what pushes Bruce Wayne over the edge, and he attempts to escape. Right. Uh, and he freezes Matthew, our clay face, right. with liquid nitrogen. And Erdell pulls a gun and fires. Wayne dives behind the green man, whose invulnerable skin causes the bullet to ricochet back into Erdell's chest. That's right. And he dies. Uh, and Wayne gives the green irradiated corpse a smile of thanks. Because they were friends in another world. And that friendship will never bear fruit. <laughs> but the green man's death will inspire Bruce Wayne yes. to wage a campaign against the Commonwealth. And that's where we end the story. Wayne makes it into the Star Chamber and we get a bit of history. Also, thanks to an old man, Bruce discovers the state condemns people the same way a firing squad executes them, randomly and anonymously. So Bruce can't rain down his vengeance on a person who is definitely responsible for the death of his parents because it was done anonymously. Right. He has nowhere to direct his anger, MJ, and as we know, in any universe, Bruce Wayne is one angry duck. Well, he, he realizes that his anger needs to be directed at the entire Commonwealth itself. The, right. the Commonwealth is responsible. And so Bruce Wayne dedicates the rest of his life to serving God by day and fighting the Commonwealth by night. That mm -hmm. the state is not God and God is not the state. Mm -hmm. 
And so he like builds his arsenal, which includes a bitchin' Batmobile, which is a two-page spread, and it's this demonic, hateful, monstrous, jet-powered thing. And it might be one of the coolest things Norm Brayfogle ever drew. We only see it once, though, from like above. That's what frustrates me about the story. Because the more interesting story here is Bruce Wayne leading a revolution against a totalitarian regime. Yeah. Like coming into direct conflict with his own faith because this is a faith-based regime. So where does Bruce Wayne fall on that? You know, what does he do with his faith? Those questions are never answered. And in fact, Batman Holy Terror doesn't have a sequel and probably never will. So we'll never get to see the cool part of this story of Bruce Wayne being a guerrilla fighter on a war that takes place on the world stage. We'll never see that. And that bums me out. And the kiss off at the end is really hokey here. Bruce Wayne wonders to himself, had his parents been killed in a random street crime instead of a state funded mm -hmm. assassination, mm -hmm. would his life had worked out differently? <laughs> I wonder, Wayne. I wonder. The answer is no obviously. And that's the end of Batman Holy Terror, MJ. And that brings me to the question I would like to ask you before we close out this month's installment of Else Week. Which story would you have rather read? This story, Holy Terror, or the story of Bruce Wayne leading a resistance against a totalitarian state? The latter, definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. How did that not become the story? I don't know. Like I said before, I feel like the story was too few pages for Brenner to really get his entire story out. Right. It was like crammed into too small a space. It's all he, I can think he's of. He's also spending way too much time on exposition explaining the world itself instead of dealing with the story. Yeah, no, the exposition is it's crazy in this book. Yeah. Which, in some cases, it's necessary because you're explaining how this world differs from the normal DCU. Right. So I can get some of it, but it's it's too much. And it's just like, I just don't understand what the point of this is. It's so ham-fisted. I think the point is... is that it doesn't have a point, MJ, <laughs> beyond being the very first Elseworlds. That's basically the legacy of Batman Holy Terror. That and also the Norm Brayfogle art, I would say. Definitely worth seeking out in that regard. But MJ, before we close this out, I want to ask you, is Batman Holy Terror a worthy tome in the Elseworlds canon? Not really. Okay, Not fair really. enough. Fair I mean, enough. I like to think of Gotham by Gaslight as being the first one, even though it didn't have the logo. And I think that one is much more worthy of being the torchbearer, so to I speak. I agree. I agree. I think retroactively, DC has straightened that out, that Gotham by Gaslight is the first. Yes. While this was the first to be published, Gotham by Gaslight's the first. Mm -hmm. And that's Batman Holy Terror. So it is. So it is. So our next Elseworlds installment, MJ, it's looking like we're going to do Batman Red Rain. Yeah. The Batman versus Vampire story written by Doug Mensch and illustrated by Kelly Jones. I am mm -hmm. very excited to give that one a proper deep dive. As far as current trade paperback printings go, that's in the Batman Elseworlds volume one, isn't it? I think so. I think this one is too. So if you listened to this uh, synopsis by us and want to read Holy Terror for yourself, um, you can either find, you know, the old one shot on eBay somewhere, I'm sure. Or you can check it out in the Batman volume one Elseworlds trade paperback. That's right. And you get Red Rain as a bonus. Yeah, you get a bunch of stuff in that book. It's a hefty one. That's right. So do yourself a favor, Else Week listeners. Look up the chronological order of Elseworlds Publishing because that's the order we're going in. Read ahead so you can listen to our episodes well-versed on the subject. All right, MJ, let's get the hell out of here. All right. And that's it. That's all the time we have for Casual Wednesdays Else Week. 
Need more of the Stewie Little Podcast in your life? Maybe more regular-ass episodes of Casual Wednesdays? Check out our episode archive over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, or any good podcatcher. Rate, follow, subscribe, whatever you want to do. Just tell us how we're doing or click Casual Wednesdays over on DoomRocket.com. And while you're at it, hit us up with your Elseworlds requests and other such multiversal inquiries at info at DoomRocket.com or on Twitter at Casuals Podcast. I'm at Jared Jones underscore MJ. Where can they find you? At Molly Jane underscore K. We'll be back with regular programming next week, but until then, keep your priestly bat robes clean. <laughs> MJ is the godly thing to do. It is.